Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk again about the Kingdom of God. And uh, I have a whole list of subjects that I could address, and uh, I'm not 100% sure exactly how far we're going to go with each one, because some of them are overlapping. Uh, But uh, if people want to know more about what we do, I've had calls this week about people uh, wanting to start a a non-501c3 ministry. And, uh, And for one thing, just the terminology of asking that question shows that you you need a great deal of counseling because there is no such thing as a non-501c3 ministry because it is a non-501c3 church. Now, a church is a ministry, but all ministries are not churches. Uh, you, you can't have a non-501c3 ministry. I mean, most people in, in the world today, because everybody has a nexus with the the government in the United States and with the governments in other uh, countries. And so they, whether they call it 501c3 in other countries or whatever, but they have, uh, you know, like China has registered churches and people are, you know, we send 501c3 churches send missionaries to China and, and funds to China to help out the unregistered church in China. And they don't realize that once you <laughs> get your 501c3 status as a church, you're a registered church in the United States. And I pointed this out because I was being approached by people who wanted to help the unregistered church in China. And I pointed out, I says, you understand, though, that you are the registered church in the United States because you're a 501c3 organization. And they said, oh, well, no, it's not registration of the church. I says, do you, do you have any idea what it means when you go down and file a 1023 form with the IRS? And so I sent them the information, what the IRS states. The IRS states that churches don't have to file that form. And if they choose to file that form, they become strictly regulated. That's a registered church. <laughs> so, <laughs> and they... I stopped getting emails from them after that <laughs> because they they didn't want to hear it. The, the option was is that they couldn't be a 501c3 church and be unregistered because that's what you're doing when you do that. And you become strictly regulated. If you don't, you're not strictly regulated. But then if you're not a church, if you're not doing what a church is supposed to be doing, so who defines what a church is supposed to do? Isn't that Jesus Christ who defined what the church is supposed to be doing? So now you show me what church today is doing what Christ told the apostles to do and is doing what the apostles did. And uh, I will I will thank you immensely because I've been looking for them. And I can't find them. I can't find churches anywhere. Uh, you know, I find some that are doing some of the things that Christ said. But I also see them doing some of the things that Christ said not to do. 
and the apostles said not to do. And so I, I can't really find a church that is conforming to the gospel of Christ. And when you point it out to them that, you know, they stop sending you emails. <laughs> they, they, they stop contacting you, um, because they don't want to hear it. But, you know, okay, that's the church. What about Christians? Are Christians doing what Christians are, we're supposed to be doing? Because Christ said you had to be a doer of the word. So what does that look like to be a doer of the word? What does that look like to be doing what Christ in the early church said to do? Well, again, I, I find almost no Christians doing what early Christians did. As a matter of course, as a matter of just everyday activities. They just don't do it. I see many modern Christians doing exactly what the Pharisees were condemned for doing. And when you point it out, they go, you know, they they don't want to hear it. But then, you know, okay, you get people who say they want to hear it. They want to know. They start studying what we offer. And, and of course, not anybody can study what we offer and say, oh, he's not right here. He's not right here. They're, they're not right when they say this or they're cold or, you know, but they don't actually deal with the actual issues that we bring up. And the, and the direct quotes from Jesus Christ and the apostles and the direct historical record of what they were actually doing. And when you point it out, uh, they either cannot accept it or they deflect and distract and, and you know, they go off by themselves. They won't challenge us. They, they won't argue a contrary point of view because, you know, they, they would rather go off and just say that we have to be wrong. And their final argument is, is they have to be wrong because I'm not doing any of those things that Christ said to do that they say Christ said to do. Yet you can show them right in there, you know, like when we uh, uh, actually fairly recently have added the quotes where at the uh, loaves and fishes that that right there in the Gospel of Mark, which is considered one of the original Gospels of uh, the four Gospels, you know, it was supposedly the pattern Gospel, um, that at the distribution of the loaves and fishes, he commanded his apostles, uh, those who would become his apostles, at that time they were just the disciples, to make the people sit down in these tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands before they could receive any of the loaves and fishes. They had to organize themselves. I actually was at a church group uh, back in the Carolinas once. Big, famous guy was organizing them. You know, he had bodyguards there and everything. I got past the bodyguards because I went up and gave him my card <laughs> so they could get in touch with us. And when I was on the way up there, I, I saw the bodyguards rushing me. Because <laughs> I, just, I just decided that I needed to go and say something to him. And I walked up to him he was sitting there well and what he was doing was he was organizing everybody there was at this huge auditorium and everybody in these they were to set out these tables and they were to gather and sit down at these tables in groups of tens 
He hadn't got to the fifties and hundreds yet, but at least he was getting them in groups of tens. But he was organizing them for a political action group, as a political action group. But he was organizing them anyway. And they were supposed to get like ten people at each each table. And I, I found it a very spiritual experience for me because I was walking around. I, I didn't sit at any of the tables with any of these people. I was there kind of a, as an observer. And uh, I would walk around and and just follow the Spirit. Stand in different places. End up standing behind certain people. And I would stand behind somebody at these groups. And that person would end up being the one who was speaking. And would kind of channel the direction of those at that that table and uh, it was as if and i've seen this before where you would go and you would actually be kind of uh, a protective support for individuals and they would end up speaking up because you were there and the reality is that's the way the kingdom works in the spiritual realm that you draw to you uh you know, we have this idea of angels and everything like that, but you actually draw support from the kingdom of heaven, this other realm, and that support, the 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 ministers in that realm, the entities of God, angels or whatever you want to call them, actually come and protect you, or and support you, give you give you uh, spiritual support so that you can speak or say. Or do certain things that God wants you to do. So you can be that doer of the word. The word is actually coming, you know, his His minions, his, you know, spiritual soldiers, whatever you want to call them, are actually there to prevent interference from the other spiritual realm that is parallel to us, which is what we call hell, This 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 other source that, desires dominion and is pulling on people of the world and i see you see in crowds of the the conflicts of the world that there's this drawing of our souls and our minds over to these things that we call sin and vice and uh evil and uh there's the realm of heaven is drawing you towards righteousness and that Corbin of the Pharisees that was making the Word of God to none effect, which is pervasive throughout the world today, and all Christians I know, all almost all Christians, people professing to be Christians, the vast majority of them, are deeply involved and members, registered members, of the Corbin of today, which is the Corbin, identical to the Corbin of the Pharisees, that Christ was condemning the Pharisees for doing because it was making the word of God to none effect. And what Christ was doing was establishing the Corbin of the kingdom of God. And Corbin is simply the the Hebrew word for sacrifice. And, you know, I mean, the whole reason that God was taking the people out of the bondage of Egypt is so that they could go and sacrifice in the wilderness to God, the Corbin of God would be reinstituted in the wilderness. It wasn't so that they could go, because he needed people to go out into the desert and, and burn up sheep. 
It was so that they could go out in the desert and start practicing the Corban of God, which is, all that is, is a sacrifice of the people through faith, hope, and charity, through free will offerings. That's what it says in the Old Testament. It always uses the term free will offerings. Not always, but most of the time it's called free will offerings. See, because in Egypt they had to make sacrifice, but it wasn't free will. It was compelled. And then... In the time of Jesus Christ, the Corbin of the Pharisees was not free will offerings. They were compelled by statutes that were put into place by the Sanhedrin, which was the 70 that was created by the this government of Judea and had come along from Salome uh, and established by Salome. But, of course, Salome's authority to establish that she just claimed it back to the days of Moses, who also established 70 that were supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit and help Moses do the job of uniting a kingdom through faith, hope, and charity, through free will offerings and uh, hope in God's way of, of liberty. That perfect law of liberty that Paul talks about and James and, and the apostles were all implementing. This, this system that they called the kingdom of God operated by charity, free will offerings. And they took care of all the social welfare of the people through a system of Corban. That's why the early church charity box was called the Corbanus because that's where you put the sacrifice of the people, which was freely given. But in order to, I mean, you could all send a check to the Pope and then it can trickle down to you. But that isn't the way the system was set up. The way the system was set up is that you sat down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands and you took care of the people in your ten family group. At the same time, you took a portion of what you had in your ten family group and you, through your minister, directed it to another 90 families. And through the minister of those 10 ministers, they directed it to the other 1,000 families or 100 families, uh, you know, groups of 100. Uh, and, of course, everything was based on this, this symposia, is the Greek word, this 10-family group. And that's how the kingdom of God worked. And it was righteous because of the fact that, uh, at least in part because of the fact that the offerings were free will. They weren't forced offerings. It wasn't men ruling over men. It was men choosing to take care of one another as and to serve the true needs of one another in righteousness. Because see, that's another part of that righteousness. It isn't a matter of just giving. It's a matter of giving in a way that strengthens the poor. And those people who took back the responsibility of doing it, the religious responsibility, because the definition of religion, just 200 years ago in the United States, the definition of religion was the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. And, of course, we know that duty to God and your fellow man is not to burn up sheep, but to take care of one another. And Moses knew that. And Elijah knew that. And all the prophets knew that. But the Pharisees had forgotten that. When Christ came along and tried to tell them, they they gave him as much credence as they 
forgive me when I say that, but you're the registered church in the United States because you're a 501c3 church. So, you know, when somebody calls me up and wants to know how they can set up a 501c3 ministry, I mean a non-501c3, a ministry without filing the 501c3 1023 form, uh, I'm I'm kind of overwhelmed by how much I have to explain <laughs> that you know every every minister in the church is a part of a ministry. He has, or even she has, some uh, form of ministry within the whole body of the church. But the church is, you know, what it has always been. It's men coming together in one accord according to the purposes and direction and restrictions of Jesus Christ. And if you actually did that, you would be the church and you would have the spiritual protection that the church is going to need in this world, in this age, because the 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 beast is going about devouring who he will. So it's not just a matter of... Uh, technical legal ease that the church has established it's a spiritual awakening and that's that's another topic that uh, has been heavy on me for the last uh, week or two or actually it's been creeping up getting uh, more and more revelations on this subject of uh, and, and I equated it uh, the importance of uh, you know, I talk about Jordan Peterson time to time, and I'm I was trying to get through his book, Twelve Rules to I think it's to end chaos or something, and one of those rules was how you pick your friends, and of course, now your congregation is supposed to be kind of your friends, but actually we are all to be friends with Christ, but we're also supposed to be friends of the unrighteous mammon. So I mean, where does this start and stop? What what Really, what it comes down to is what do you need to learn about the truth in order to progress on your journey to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness? And to tell you the truth, most of what you have to learn, you have to learn about yourself. You know, and I've seen recently with a number of people that uh, uh, I've been in contact with uh, in the last weeks is that they're often, they think they are in control. They think they see the truth. And this is the problem. Is I'm constantly bringing up points with people that they're not willing to see about themselves. Oh, they'll, they'll look at the fact that 501c3 church is strictly regulated. Because because we can show you where the IRS forms and booklets state that a church that files a 1023 will become strictly regulated. They state that. They tell you in their rules, but nobody ever reads it. We read it. We tell you. We tell you how the Social Security system works because we actually read the rule book. And we and we read the Social Security Act, and we put this down. And we we hit the high points because if you would just went to read the Social Security Act, you'd probably read for a couple hours and 
not know what you just read. And so we we go through we, and we find the clauses that are important and we write them down. And we go through and we find the uh, uh, rulings of the Supreme Court as to what those clauses actually mean in support of what we could see that they meant. But w- you won't take our word for it. So we go and get the Supreme Court that says that Social Security, you know, and and, and Congress uh, who's uh, dealt with this issue. And they, they clearly, and the guy who devised the system, wrote it up. It's not an insurance system. There is no separate account. All these people, I hear it all the time. We beefed up our article on Social Security a little bit. Uh, it, the information was actually there, but it was in a footnote. And nobody seemed to want to go down to the footnote. So I, I put a clear reference up in the text. And, and you can still go see the footnote. But I divided the footnote because evidently reading anything more than 25 words uh, usually taxes the person's uh, ability to comprehend if it's contrary to what they already want to believe is true. That's that's the key element. If they don't want to see that what they already believe is true just ain't so, their brain shuts off. Their interest shuts off. They walk away. They find an excuse not to listen anymore. They go off and they argue against what you said in their own minds and decide that you're wrong. They can't argue against you because you've got actual facts. But people say, oh, they're pilfering the Social Security account. They're taking money out of our Social Security. They're robbing, you know, our Social Security. No, there is no separate account. There is no division of funds. It's ruled right away. And if you could read the legalese of the Social Security Act, you'd see that that doesn't exist. The the purpose wasn't to create a separate fund for your benefit, your personal benefit. The purpose of the Act was to make you a surety for their debt, for the debts of the United States. That's why all the money you pay in, whether you call it Social Security or not, since there's no division of funds, whether it's income tax or, or Social Security tax, which is a tax, it's not an insurance premium, all that goes to just pay the interest. And you're getting to the point where they can't even pay the interest. And the debt continues. You see it every couple of months. Sometimes even more often than that, they raise the debt ceiling. And, and curse your children with a debt you'll never pay off. But you say, well, I paid in. I have a right to take out. Take out of what? I mean, you're, what you produce, you're, you, what you pay in, that's your blood. That is your sacrifice. But you're, what you're getting out is the sacrifice of the generation to come. Because you're every day you're cursing your children with more and more debt. Now, who wants to hear that? Well, we'll we'll give you some more when you come back to Keys of the Kingdom. So uh, I have an article up called "The Whole Story," and I was going to go over that, but I'll probably we'll see if we have time to get to that because we really need to look back at this: how we are influenced, who are we making our friends? Now I've seen. 
where someone would befriend somebody uh, or have certain uh, are drawn towards certain people as uh, not something more than just you know we're to be friends to all man and uh, so to be really to as many as I love I also rebuke so if I'm going to be your friend I'm going to tell you the truth about you you know uh, I'm going to tell you what you know I see as your problem. Now, I might just stand with you, work with you, be around you, but I'm going to be conscious of what I see is wrong with you. I'm not going to do that in order to put you down, but I'm going to do that so that you can help yourself stand up, that you can make that effort to get vertical, stand up. That's another one of his rules, to stand up straight. Make your bed. These are, I mean, he has these simplistic little ideas but they're they're somewhat of a allegory or metaphor about you know changing the way you approach life so when we talk about you know picking your friends he's talking he gives examples of how people pick friends who were into smoking dope and not being responsible and not tending to business and and uh and and they led people down a road where they've kind of wasted large portions of their life and in some cases ended up committing suicide and he sees that as a gross and terrible waste and he tried to encourage the person to come back but they early on they set a pattern in their life and it was very difficult to come back i personally believe everybody can come back and that's the whole point of talking about the kingdom the kingdom is about coming back to what God really wants you to be. But you can't get back there unless you're willing to see what you are. When Adam and Eve were fleeing from the light of God, the that's what they were fleeing from. That's why they had to leave the garden. That's why they had to leave that status of dominion is because they did not want to see what they had done. And what they had done is they chose to decide for themselves what was good and evil. They chose to justify their own thinking as a source of truth. And that cut them off from the tree of life. God gave us the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but he also gave us the tree of life so that we could see and understand the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil but we did not use the tree of the knowledge of good and evil as a source of our direction. We used the tree of life as a source of our direction, and that brought life more abundant. This is what Christ is trying to tell you is how to get back to the tree of life, which is the Holy Spirit. And he wants you to eat of the Holy Spirit. But you keep eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you say, so give me the knowledge on how to create a ministry that is non-501c3 so I can go off and decide for myself what is good and evil and tell other people what is good and evil and do what they think is a ministry. Now, I don't know the people who just recently called me. I didn't. Uh, I have one person I have to call back yet. I really haven't talked to them, so I don't know where they're actually standing but it is a common conversation I get from a lot of people, and a lot of them 
really don't want to do what Christ said to do, which is clear. It's right in the text. People read it. Thousands of ministers read it. And they just go right over it and don't see it. Why can't they see it? Because they, they're living in darkness. They're blind guides. They're not seeing the simplicity. You cannot practice pure religion unless you sit down in the tens, fifties, and hundreds. Now, you could sit down in the nines and forties and eighties. That, that's fine. But the point is, is that you have to, you have to create this network. If you're going to care about your neighbor, you can't just care about those you love or those who love you. Christ said that. It's not just loving those who love you. These are robbers do that. You have to care about people you don't even know. And that's why they say from the beginning that you would cast your bread upon the waters. But you don't see these basic principles constantly flowing from the kingdom of God in those who are really seeking the kingdom of God. They, those, those principles will flow through them. They don't see that because they're not willing to see the truth about themselves. And because of that, they become vulnerable to certain spirits. The, the spirit of Corban, this, the word Corban, which means sacrifice. And remember, Christ came to serve. To serve requires sacrifice. And so Christ came to sacrifice. He came to serve. Same thing. And if you come in the name of Christ, you do the same thing. You come to serve. You come to sacrifice. That word Corban comes from a Hebrew word that means to draw near. That if you come in that spirit, you will be drawn near to the kingdom of God. To God himself. And you will see more because you, as you're drawn near him and near Christ, he is the light and you will see the light. People tell me all the time they've accepted Jesus Christ into their heart as their personal Savior, but they don't want to see the light. They want to see some light, yeah, but they don't want to see the whole of Christ's light. They still, you know, oh, I don't want to see that. Which is why most all churches are 501c3. Strictly regulated by the state. Because they are in and of the world. They are not separate from the world. Okay, we get a church that is separate from the world. This non-501c3 church. It hasn't filed a 1023 and it can function now separate from the world. But the minister is registered with the world and got a number of the world and takes benefits from the world and is dependent upon social security and dependent upon all these uh, benefits offered by the world. So they are not just in the world, they are of the world. So is that church separate from the world? No, it's just another another next. It's kind of like uh, uh, Gulliver's Travels when he went to Lilliputian or whatever it was where all the little people are. <laughs> you know? And they strapped him down with all these ropes and you know, stake them into the ground. You know, we've seen that picture in uh, Gulliver's Travels. Uh, so, okay, you, you remove this one and you remove that one. What about all the other 500 <laughs> ropes that are tying you down? So, y- you can't be the free church. You can't be, you can't have this free ministry 
unless there is somebody who is really not of the world. But you say, okay, well, I, I got rid of my Social Security number, and I got rid of my national insurance number, and and I didn't register as a 501c3 church because uh, I didn't file a 1023, and so now I'm I'm separate. And I'm living in the world, but not out of the world. Those things, like those numbers and those registration, are just uh, prima facie evidence that you are still connected to these realms of of um, that that other realm, that satanic realm of unrighteousness. We have we just did a study on um, temples and churches. Well, you know, uh, we actually have another study coming up on the temple of Satan. Satan just is the word for adversary. So it's the temple of the adversary. So who is that? What is that? What is that all about? Well, you just come to the study and we'll talk about it. And and we we do that every Tuesday. And if you're not on the network, you won't get the notices that the that the study is coming up and what the topic is. And you won't get the notices of the recordings of the studies that we have already had. And you can come to those studies live and you can ask your questions if you have doubts about what we say. And we can explain what we're talking about. But if you don't come, you don't, you're not going to get to ask your question. And the problem is, is that the more light we offer you, the more you go away. Uh, because there's something you don't want to see about you. And I've seen this where people who, they see this and they see that and they see this and they want to participate and they work at it and everything. But then you get down to some of their issues, like their anger issues, their judgment issues, their slothful issues, their their uh, their uh, gluttonous issues, their self-indulgent issues. They don't want to see that. I just want to see the truth that makes me comfortable. I don't want to see the truth that makes me uncomfortable. I don't want the whole truth. I just want the convenient truth. Convenient for me. The self-justifying truth. Well, I'm sorry. There's only one truth. And it includes what's wrong with you. It also includes what's wrong with me. And I welcome rebuke. If people see what's wrong with me. But at the... Uh, I can I can name you. I could go through categories of where people, and I I confront them. Yeah, but but they always they they get farther and farther away. It's an amazing thing that if you if you really are bringing the Holy Spirit in the room, there will be some people who don't even want to get physically close to you. They don't want to engage you. They don't want to even look at you. They will look away every time you look. And they don't even see this. When when Jesus picked his 70, his Sanhedrin, uh, because that's what he did. He had 70 people that came to Christ. And he picked those 70. And he sent them out. And he, he specifically sent them out to the lost sheep, to the other Israelites who were not a part of the kingdom of Judea. He sent them out to them to tell them about the gospel. 
and he bestowed upon them the power of the Holy Spirit to go with them. And they they were came back and shocked at the miracles that took place when they went out. That was that was Jesus Christ's Congress and Senate in his government. That seventy that went out. It wasn't sent out with the spirit of Salome. It was sent out with the Spirit of God. And healings took place and blessings took place and demons were cast out, but not always. Sometimes they had trouble. And he says, well, that only comes with fasting and prayer. Well, who does the fasting and prayer? That's you. If you're going to be one of the 70, you've got to do that fasting and prayer. Fasting from what? Well, fasting from your denial about the truth about yourself. Prayer is wanting to know the truth about yourself. See, you, you have to know who you are. You have to know where you're at, how you got to where you're at. You know, one of the things that Jordan Peterson talks about is self, self-authoring. Well, you know, his approach is actually not too bad. And I think it's a good exercise. And we, we have, uh, some of the, the, um, same approach. We had it before I even read anything about him is that in order to become an ordained minister of the church, you had to write down who you were. How you got to where you were. You had to write down a personal history of yourself. And it's about personal reflection of how you got to where you're at today. And and I haven't seen anybody who wrote it who is completely honest. And I've had people who have written it and they're constantly revising it. Because they start thinking, oh yeah, and this, and this. And that's good. That's part of the process. Part of that reflective process of taking a look at yourself. But I said from the beginning that what tells me most about you is what you don't mention (laughs) in your autobiography of uh, your, your personal history. Is because that's what you need to see. Is what you don't see. It's It's really, it's fine you see what you do see and that's great. But what is keeping you from getting closer to the kingdom is what you don't see. See, Adam and Eve, they were willing to see this. Yeah, I did eat of the tree, but it wasn't my fault. It was the woman you gave me. You know, uh, the woman, it's, it wasn't my fault because the snake deceived me. And But the reality is it is your fault. Because you had an appetite to decide for yourself what was good and evil. And we're all still doing that. But we're not all willing to take a look at us doing that. You know, when David did the bad things that David did, he was willing to see that. And that was good. It was maturing. It it, it got him close. He was a, a, a king after God's own heart. Because he was willing, not because he never did anything wrong, but because he was willing to see what he did wrong. So that's, that's what the journey is for you, is you have to be willing to see what you personally are doing wrong. Anybody who's always bringing up what everybody else is doing wrong and pointing that out, which, you know, I'm put in that position, you know, to, but the fact is if if you're not willing to see what you're doing wrong, 
then there's a problem. And I, you know, one of the things I'm constantly pondering when I'm dealing with people who have this mental block where they can't see something that I see taking place in their life, I don't go and tell them right away. You know, I, I saw a minister that we had that had real dishonesty uh, issues. And so I tried to make him aware of that. And so then we saw, without without telling him directly, and the way you make him aware of it is you bring light to it. You see, you watch, you observe this in them. And you hear the uh, delusion. And you're aware of the delusion. And But you didn't say anything. You didn't say you were delusional. You didn't say you were wrong. You don't even discuss it with other people. You see it and you wonder about it and ponder about it. And you pray about it. And you fast from exercising authority over that individual. And and you can exercise authority just by telling them what the problem is. Because people hold weight in what you say. And so, even though you may not intend to exercise authority because you said it, you will be putting authority upon them. So, you just be aware of it and you pray about it. And you, you, sometimes you physically fast, not only fast from speaking to them about it, but fast from other things. So that you, you pray about it more. And it's, it's a, it's kind of a heart-wrenching deal because you're helpless. You want to, you know, you want to grab them and shake them. (laughs) Say, hey, pay attention to what you're doing. You're destroying your life. You're destroying other people's lives. And occasionally you have to intervene when they're destroying other people's lives. But you want to save them both. You don't want to just save the one that they're affecting. You want to save them. So you want to bring them to the point where they're willing to see it. So you're you're kind to them. Uh, You try to develop trust with them. But you also see they have this spirit of dishonesty or spirit of sloth or spirit of uh, envy. Or vanity. Uh, or anger. Which uh, all these things are all related. They're overlapping concepts. You can't be angry with anybody. Unless you're willing to assert God. You know you can't be envious of anybody. And, and I'm not talking about admiration. But envious of anybody. Jealous of anybody. Unless you want to assert God. You know, all these all these sins come from the fact that you want to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is usurping God. You're going to decide instead of letting God to decide and guide you with the Holy Spirit. So now, to, so you you've got you see somebody with an anger issue and you you pray about it, and they will either move closer to you to the point where they are willing to look at it and hear it. Or they will move farther away from you. Because even being around you becomes uncomfortable. Because being around you, they begin to see their problem. Their judgmental problem. Their arrogant problem. Their anger problem. So then in order to justify not coming around you. Because you're being kind to them. You're being considerate to them. They have to invent something. 
you know, a false flag, I guess is that's a common term we hear today. Uh, you know, you have to be a false accuser. Because that's what evil wants you to do, is to be that false accuser. That's why Satan is called a false accuser. So, so that they can legitimately, in their own mind, distance themselves from you. And they don't even know why they're distancing themselves. I mean, deep down they know. But in their intellect they don't know. Because if they were to let that information into their intellect, they would see that they have an anger issue that they don't want to see. So they can't see it's their anger issue. And and guess what they'll do? They'll befriend other people with an anger issue. Somebody who loses their temper and cusses and swears, you know, when he's not around you, but, but he cusses and swears at, you know, uh, traffic rage, where he's screaming and yelling at people who cut him off. Because he has an anger issue. Well, why does he have that anger issue? Because there's something he doesn't want to see about himself. And so he, he is drawn towards that spirit of anger that we see in demonic possession. He may not be de- demonically possessed. Totally. He may be ideologically possessed. In other words, his ideology justifies his anger towards that person. That he doesn't even know. That cut him off in traffic. But because he has an anger issue and the other person has an anger issue and and they're they're trying to figure out how to escape from somebody who's trying to bring that anger issue to them, to their awareness, without lording it over them, they're going to come together as allies. Okay, take another issue, the issue of sloth. That if you have... A, a little bit of the spirit of sloth in you. You know, you, you're not as diligent and hardworking as you should be. You, you rather, you have us, and usually that comes from a certain resentment of somebody who required you to work, pushed you to work, and, and you resented that, but you had to do it. So now to even, uh, to diligently work, and push, you know, to do the job becomes an aversion to you. You resist it. You don't even notice you're resisting it. You think you're working hard, but you're actually putting it off. I, I'll give you an example. Uh, kids do this very commonly. I mean, they'll 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 work for other people more than they'll work for their own parents. Because they resent having to do something. And so they'll go out, when they go out and get a job out in the world, they'll work really hard for other people. But they'll find it difficult to work for their own parents. They might do it, but they won't do it fully. They, you know, they won't do their studies fully. They, they won't do their chores fully. They kind of cut corners. And, and it's it's part of a rebellious nature because they don't want to accept the authority of their parents. And maybe it's partly the fault of the parents. Maybe they were a little bit too authoritarian themselves. The, a parent wants their children, a good parent, wants their children to do what is right because they love their parents. 
They don't want them to do what is right because their parents, you know, threaten them with a spanking or their mother threatens them with a scolding uh, or a shaming. They want, a good parent wants them to do it because they have a love of doing what is right. And what is right is to honor your father and your mother. And this draws you towards the kingdom of God and the spirit that dwells in that kingdom. But the world wants to draw you towards sloth and envy and avarice. We'll be more about this. We're going to explore this really deep so that you can actually do self-authoring. So, we were talking a little bit about self-authoring. Self-authoring requires... You have to. Are, are you are you going to write something that is fictional or non-fictional? I guess that would be the best question to put forward there. Well, then you have to know yourself. You have to know the truth about yourself. And if you're refusing to know the truth about yourself, whatever your failing is, whatever your weakness is, you will draw more of the same of that weakness to you. If if you have a slothful nature to you, you know, or you harbor. Uh, you know, the the weakness of sloth. And the reason you would harbor that is because of resentment towards somebody who tried to compel you not to be slothful, tried to push you, and you resented them. So now you will be uh, chained to that spirit of sloth because you, you, you actually judge those who maybe because something had happened to them you know, I mean, this is how someone who molests a young child because he's, you know, he's gay. He was maybe molested when he was young. And so now he molests a young child. And that child grows up now and becomes gay. And there's lots of ways to molest a child. You don't actually have to physically do it. You can do it emotionally. And I talked about this in a recent show where the, people are talking about... Uh, you know, gender choices and and uh, all these things to small children. And you could actually see on the video, if you were observant, that these parents were actually molesting their own children mentally. They were molesting their own children emotionally. And they were creating conflict in the child where there was no conflict. They were, they were, they were creating uh, that that trauma that they were creating is actually causing grooves in their mental process. It's creating connections in their mental process, traumatic connections that will cause their mind to go in particular directions and, and trigger their mind to go and follow certain patterns of thought. And they won't have any control over it. So how do you relieve that? You have to bring light and righteousness into the presence of the child so that they can make a new choice. And they, they, and those scars will heal over in their mind. Those traumatic uh, connections will be uh, replaced with better connections. Okay, now let's put that in, in a way that you can understand better. If, if you have a spirit of sloth in you because you resented somebody who was impatient with you and he may have been impatient with you because somebody was impatient with him and his father before him and whatever. 
and he was angry and impatient and unfair, and he pushed you, and you resented that, and the spirit of sloth got into you. Because, uh, you know, there's an old joke about uh, the guy who... uh, uh, driving down the road and he's not paying attention, he ends up dri- dri- uh, running a trucker off the road. And uh, the trucker smashes up his vehicle and he comes up and he's so angry at the guy in this car that he, he goes over and he makes the guy get out of his car and he draws a circle on the side of the road and says, stand in the circle. And then he his truck's all smashed up, so he smashes that guy's headlights and he looks over at the guy and he's laughing. So then he smashes his window and he looks over the guy and the guy's laughing again. And, uh, you know, so then he just gets enraged and just tears the vehicle all apart and he looks over at the guy and he's laughing and he goes over and he grabs him and he says, Why are you laughing? I just wrecked your car. He says, Yeah, but when you weren't looking, I stepped outside the circle three times. Uh and this is actually, you know, it's it's a joke. And people, you know, if I go and tell the whole thing, I could actually make you laugh. But uh, the principle is, is this is what you do. Is that somebody injures you or hurts you or offends you. And you resent them. And you, you can't confront them with what they did. Not with honesty and righteousness and without judgment, without your personal anger towards them. You could certainly get angry at them and yell back at them and tell them off and call them names and all that stuff. But if you don't have the courage to confront them, then you're left with the alternative of stepping out of the circle. So if they're pushing you to work because... They think you're lazy. And you may not have been lazy. You may have been really working hard. And that's usually compounds the problem. Although the problem may already exist there. And they're, they're just, like I say, compounding an existing problem and making it worse with their anger. They're reinforcing. Maybe your father, when you were a little kid, wanted you to do your studies or do work or do something or do something for him. And you resented that. And now now this employer becomes a representation of that and accentuates that same uh, position of the fact that they don't think you're working hard enough. And maybe you were trying really hard and they're unfair in their judgment. But if you resent them, then you have to step outside the circle. You have to literally be slothful. Because they were trying to pressure you in not being slothful. And you were really giving your all. So they accentuate the problem. So now somebody comes along and is allowing you to be slothful. Allowing you to make the choices. Allowing you to see this spirit that is affecting what you do. make Affecting what your your choices now you you have to you have to bring somebody around you to support you in your sloth. You have to bring somebody who has a spirit of sloth in them more, just like the person who had the, a uh, an angry issue spirit in them. They're gravitated towards somebody else who has an anger issue in them, and they bring them as support. Or maybe it's somebody who's, you know, involved in self-righteous religion. 
you know, where they think they've got the right doctrine, they think they have the right spirit, and it's important to them to be accepted as a spiritual guide for other people. And so, therefore, they ally themselves with this vain spirituality. And they get more and more people around them. Because you're not judging them. So they, they, they have to, they have to betray you, literally, to get you to judge them and their spirit. They will try to manipulate you and force you to do something to drive them away, to send them away. They, they want to be released from your trust so that they can, you know, they can write your name down and strike a line through it. Because you did them dirt. You did them unfair. And and they're a victim of what? Of other people? They're a victim of what they do not want to see about themselves. And so, self-authoring will do them no good until they're willing to see who they are right now. In order to see who they are right now, sometimes they have to go back and retrace their steps to how they got to where they are right now. The problem is they're not willing to see where they are right now. They're not willing to see their anger issues, their sloth issues, their pride issues, their vanity issues. They're not willing to see that, their judgment issues. I mean, you could, you know, the, the, there's really only one sin. And that's rejecting God. But it, it comes in many different forms. And so we categorize all these different forms. You know, like anger, or vanity, or sloth, or uh, gluttony, or what are all the vices? I mean, there's several different lists, lists of the seven. They call them different things. The wantonness. And, and so in order to be freed from all those vices which are the absence of righteousness. You remember, darkness is just the absence of light. Vice is what occurs when you lack virtue. The unholy spirit dwells where you won't let the Holy Spirit enter in. You see, so all you have to do is be willing to see the truth about yourself and you can start your journey back to the tree of life, back to the Holy Spirit. It will come to you. It will run out and meet you halfway. But you have to see yourself. It's not. It's really easy to see the problems with everybody else in the world. Not so easy to see the problems with yourself. I mean, it, it's it's, you know, it's a journey into the dark corners of your own temple. And you can't clean them out with your own intellect. So people want to know how do you how do you have a non five hundred one c three ministry? How how do I become uh, in the world but not of the world? How do I get out of the system? How do I separate myself? It's that's not where Christ starts. Christ starts seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So what's righteousness? If you're going to be a doer of the word, 
Aren't you supposed to be a diligent doer of the word? Because Christ says you are. So if you're not being diligent, then there's a problem. If you're supposed to be walking in forgiveness, yet you blow your top at your wife and you scream and yell and knock down, drag out, fight, whether it's just emotional or physical, it can often get physical, but if it's just emotional, it's still... He who yells at his wife has already struck her in his heart with his hand. I mean, it's the same principle we see with committing adultery. And vice versa. Because there's an awful lot of wives that beat their husbands emotionally. And so, how do you deal with these things? This this journey within is this journey to the kingdom. Because the kingdom is within you. So, yeah, we can tell you how to set up a church that's non-501c3. We can help you do it. But there's only one church. There's not 40,000 churches. There's only one church. The apostles, before they could really begin their mission, they had to come into one accord. And they worked together. Because they were not just creating some isolated congregation. They were on their way to being the kingdom of God at hand. And we see the miracles. We saw it first with the 70 going out and then with the apostles and the 120 in the upper room. So all these all these things that we see going on there are, are based on the fact that these people are willing to see the truth about themselves. Peter thought, you know, I would never betray you, Lord, but yet God knew he would. Christ knew he would. And he prayed for him. And the prayer evidently worked because he was willing to see what he had done and get better. So now, are you willing to see what you're doing? Are you seeing the people that you're drawing around you and drawing to you? I tell people, now, when you form your congregation, don't be casting people out. Let the Holy Spirit cast them out. Love them all and let the Holy Spirit cast them out. Because that's how you cast out a demon. Is with love. You take all their hate that is coming at you. All their deception that is coming at you. All their greed. All their sloth. All their anger. All their vanity. And you receive it. You accept it. And you send it back with love. And it will drive them away. Unfortunately, some of the congregation will follow out after them. And there will be divisions. And they will say, well, I'm going with them. But who's going to go with them? With the angry soul, the angry souls will go with them. Now, we don't judge them for that. We hope that you know, they carry out whatever it is that they need to carry out and eventually see, oh my gosh, I need to repent and go back and become prodigal sons who come back and say, oh my gosh, I was seduced by an angry spirit. I was seduced by a greedy spirit. Now, if they come back and saying, I was seduced 
by the anger in the other person to go off after them. No, it was a mutual thing. I was seduced by the slothful spirit to go after them. No, you were seduced by seduced by your own sloth. You enlisted the help of them to justify that sloth. But if you don't want to believe me, that's okay. But watch what happens. Watch what happens with that anger. Watch what happens with that sloth. Watch what happens with that greed. See that we we saw the greedy minister moving more and more away from us and uh, and not doing what the early church did, what the early ministers did. And the con- we could have warned the congregation, but the congregation weren't sitting down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. And that particular minister was making sure that they didn't do that. And see, every minister should be taking those people that are in their congregation that are beginning to see the kingdom and introducing them to other congregants and other congregations. In order to do that, they need to know those ministers and who's in their congregations. And they should be making contact with those people in those other congregations. And the people in those congregations should be demanding that their ministers say, what's going on with this congregation? What's going on with that congregation? When they have their news bulletin, uh, when they meet in, uh, whether it's a congregation call or they actually meet in a place or a location, they should be able to give a report of what's happening with the other ministers in the other congregations. Because you're trying to create bonds and connections. That's why we have feasts. And so that people can come and people from other congregations can meet people from other congregations. And we haven't even touched on what that will actually look like when we get closer and closer to the kingdom and his righteousness. You you will be creating more and more of these spiritual bonds and bringing more and more light in. And But Christ sent men out, the 70 out. He it's Eventually, the 120 went out and tens of thousands of people began to turn around. I talked about the letter Tet. Uh, recently in some of our uh, courses and broadcasts. And that is this inner goodness. And it is touched by the divine spark, by the faith of God. And then that tet, that inner conversion, causes your hand through that divine spark in you now that has come from the faith of God to go out and touch others. And so what we're talking about is, you know, that's why I don't like the term self-authoring, is that you need to let God write upon your heart and upon your mind, but you cannot do that until you're willing to look at yourself. Why do you have this problem? Why do you have that problem? If your if your first answer is oh because of something else other than you, there may be a problem there. You know because because of you know a physical uh, issue because of a uh, uh, because somebody else was this way with you or because you know where you're bl- putting the blame somewhere else. You are. 
self-authoring in that sense. You are self-creating. You are, if you see a problem in your physical body, if you see a problem in your emotional state, if you see a problem in your spiritual failings, you know, your sinful acts, you have to realize that you are self-authoring. You have you have created yourself. Now, admittedly, other people have had an influence on you. Other people may have done bad things to you, unfair things to you, unkind things to you. You may not have had this opportunity or that opportunity, but you had difficulties here and there because you interact with other people. But your choices of interaction is what has caused the tet to be active in blessing you or cursing you. You know, that was one of the things that people said. Is this man, you know, crippled because of his sin or his parents' sin? God is not, you know, when we, we hear this word vengeful, we'd have to go in and study the Hebrew on what that word vengeful really is all about. God has set into motion cause and effect universe. Has nothing to do with vengeance. Has nothing to do with cruelty or being mean to you because you didn't do what he said. This cause and effect universe is to create order, not to create chaos. So you're you go out and you react to whatever happens. This is one of the things when you read about the Essenes and they, the, the Romans used to torture anybody that they thought could give them. You know, torture was legal. It was actually part of their legal system. Testimony on torture was ex- well accepted at that point in history. And I don't know if that was always the case in Rome, but it's certainly at the time of the Essenes and, uh, and Christ. Uh, torture was absolutely legitimate. It was part of the deal. But the Essenes would bless their torturer, thank them for their iniquities. Now that's, that's not easy to do. <laughs> so, so if you're going around saying, well, I am this way because this happened to me, and I am this way because that happened to me, and I, I fall short here because I, I didn't have this opportunity. No. No. You know, you that isn't the right attitude. You have to accept what's happening and ponder upon it. And and bless God for the opportunity if somebody's cruel to you. Thank you God for my this wonderful opportunity to forgive. This is one of the things I've imparted with people when they're choosing a congregation. You should choose a congregation by its geographical location to you. Not because it has the right kind of saints in it. It makes you feel comfortable. Is it the, You love the ones that you're with. You, you forgive the ones that you're with. And so therefore you want that these people as geographically close so you can interact as often as possible. And if they, if they do wrong, if they are wrong, if they, you still love them. I mean, if, if God gives you children, do you just get to love the good ones and hate the bad ones? 
my wife was uh, visiting, uh, you, know, you know, she visits uh, sick and, and, uh, and widows and things like that. And she was in a household where they had two foster children. And one was really cute and sweet, and they were treating it wonderfully. And the other one, very little, very little child, unbelievable background. And they were being abusive, emotionally abusive to the other one. And, uh, I mean, these kids underwent horrible, horrible, uh, uh, abuse, uh, in, in the homes that they came from, which were broken homes with broken people in them. And they, the, the one child who's like four was drawing out of the people the very anger that was in them, but it was in them to be drawn out. And they needed to see that. And my wife spoke up about it in no uncertain terms. <laughs> and they all had to do some serious reflection. And I hopefully we pray that they will. Uh, but uh, they, evil, it if you let it in, if you shut out the light, if you don't admit the truth about yourself, evil will get in and it will destroy you. It will destroy you. You know, it will ruin your... You, you'll eat the wrong things. You'll say the wrong things. You'll make the wrong choices. You'll pull on the wrong friends. You will be robbed and abused. And it's because you did not let the light in. And you didn't let the light in because if the light came in, it, you would see your own faults. You have to constantly, and God sends you people that will expose your faults. And you have to thank Him for that. If somebody is cruel to you, you thank God for that cruel person because it's an opportunity. You thank God for that blunt congregant who tells you right out something about yourself that makes you angry and upset. And you want to storm out of the room because he said something that made you angry. But did what he said make you angry or did it pull out the anger that was already in you? Now, don't justify. Uh, well, he was insulting. No, see, that's justifying. No. That anger was in you. You know, why didn't you say, thank you, Lord? You know, forgive him. But no, you get mad and you storm out of the room. Because you got anger issues. You got anger issues because you're not full of light. You're not immersed in the forgiveness spirit of the Holy Spirit. You let God be the judge and you will be unburdened by all this anger. But you want to judge others, so you keep falling into this, these fits of anger. The same with, you're willing to stand by and let other people do the work. So you go out and get other people that stand by with you, who are also willing to watch other people do the work. You eat, and you want everybody to eat like you eat. Because you're trying to fill yourself with something you lack. Light is not fattening. 
Okay, we'll be right back. Okay, well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm pondering some of these things. Actually, some of the things that I'm saying now, I've been pondering for quite a while, but uh, it's actually starting to fit together. There was one thing that I was looking at in... Uh, there, are, there are five personality models if you go and you study psychology. And in in this attempt of Jordan Peterson, and I, I've been looking at him because I, I see there are some things that are wrong. I see there are a lot of things that are right. And the reason I'm looking at this is to try to figure out how you can bring kingdom into some of the things that he is suggesting. And I can go beyond, you know, I understand his psychologist training. And so he's going to use terms that are over there. But he's also, I see that he has seen some truths too and discovering some important insight in, you know, his quest for the truth. And so he has this whole thing on self, self-authoring and you, you, you have to look at your past and then you have to uh, do something about your present. And then he talks about, uh, uh, future authoring and of course from the point of view of the kingdom yeah you have to look at your past you have to see how you got to where you're at today and you when you do that you're not going to go through the past and say well i am this way because so and so did this to me i am this way because this happened to me i am this way because the circumstances beyond my control you are the way you are because the way you reacted to all those past events. And that reaction is dependent upon the spirit that dwells in you. And if you don't let in the spirit of light, the spirit of truth, the spirit of the tree of life, which is the whole truth, the whole light, then darkness will enter into you. Shadow will enter into you. The shadow self, that's a psychologist term, will enter into you and it will manipulate you. It will, you know, the angry man will be drawn towards other angry men. But the angry man will not only be drawn towards other angry men, he will also be drawn towards compliant people who will submit to his anger because it's a lot easier to be angry at people who are compliant. So anyway, let's go back real quick. With that in mind, let's go back and look at these five uh, personalities. He talks about in present authoring. Design, is designed to allow you to do an in-depth analysis of your own personality, including its negative faults and positive virtues. Uh, you know, the virtuous elements of your personality. Uh, he, he says the program is based on the big five personality models. And those personality models are openness, consciousness, uh, or conscientiousness, um, extroversion, agreeableness, neuroticism. So, anyway, those are psychological terms, endless, but openness. Let's take a look at openness. You're open. Uh, you, that's like a clean slate. You're willing to accept things. And actually, what a negative aspect of that openness would be pliable. That you're willing to go along to get along. And you don't want to see the faults of others. See, there's seeing the faults of others 
because you want to help them. You see them headed towards a cliff and you want to keep them from driving off that cliff. But there's also, you're will, you want to see the faults of others so that you can point to them rather than see your own. So if you're, you want to, uh, see the faults of others to excuse your own faults, that's a different spirit than wanting to see how can I help this person overcome their lack of virtue, which is, again, the lack of virtue is the darkness. It's the absence of virtue. I could have said they're vices, but vices are just the absence of virtue. So, if you're a very uh, pliable person, you may be an enabler. You enable other people. But you will draw certain people to you because you're so pliable and you're open. And they will take advantage of you. They will get you to give them their way. You give them money. If you have money, they'll get you to give them money. If you... you, uh, will give them comfort in some way. There's all kinds of different ways that uh, you can give comfort because you will be pliable. You will, They can manipulate you. Now, this openness can be a good thing, but the openness can be a bad thing if it makes you pliable. So you want openness to the Holy Spirit and then you're not so pliable. You're willing to see and be open and and observe, but you're your vision towards them, your your ability to see what they're doing with forgiveness, because they're they're trying to manipulate your pliability, and you see that, and you it's because they have a dark spot in them that they want to control you, and, and that goes down to that agreeableness. Agreeableness can make you pliable. So, all these characteristics are not exclusive to one person. A person could be have this openness where, yeah, I can accept this person, I can accept that person's ideas, I can accept that person, but then this agreeableness, that is an enabler. If you have the openness and the agreeableness, that's an enabler. And an enabler weakens the poor. And that's the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. So this conscientiousness, well, that's a people pleaser. If, I mean, it doesn't have to be. You're, you're, a conscientious person can be empathetic. They, they see the problems. They see the weaknesses in others. They see the needs of others. But if they have the badass aspect of agreeableness and openness, they will be uh, people pleasers. And again, what is that? That's an enabler. That, that, that person, you will see them as an enabler because they, the person, you know, they, can you loan me another hundred bucks? Can, can, you know, I lost my job. Well, you lost your job because you didn't show up. You didn't apply yourself. You, you, you were slothful. Yeah, but I lost my job and now I need help. And so, can you give me, give me, give me, you know, well, <laughs> and then you become on this, you, you're weakening the poor. 
You need to have tough love. You need to say, well, no, you need to show up to work. You need to, to be there on time. You need to, when you, when you're there, you need to be there in the moment, which we're going to get back to because this, this is from his section on present authoring. So then we, he, this other, uh, of the five personality models, they call it extroversion. Well, what's the opposite of extroversion? Introversion? Well, you can have extroversion. You know, you, we talk about people who are extroverts and they're, they're people people. You know, they can get out there and they can express themselves and, and manifest themselves. They're not an introvert. They're an extrovert. Well, how do we mean these terms? Because an introvert may be, you know, shy and introverted and, but not willing to look at the fact that they're people pleasers and enablers and uh, what have you. If you are not willing to criticize somebody, you may be doing them harm. I mean, there's there's a time when a child is running out to the street and there's a car coming and you have to grab that child and jerk it back. Otherwise, it will die. But there's other times where you have to give that child the chance to look for themselves and draw, and so that you have to measure this out. So that you have an extrovert, an introvert. An introvert is not necessarily looking at their own heart. They're not looking at their own motivations. They're just the opposite of an extrovert. And so all these, it's very interesting that all these, these terms, these psychological terms can be good or bad. You know, that they, uh, you know, neuroticism, you know, uh, what is it? OCD. People are compulsively a certain way. They have to clean or they have to, you know, they have to tell people what's on their mind or they have to, I have to give to the poor. He asked me, you know, but uh, uh, what, you know, the person who is letting God write upon his heart and upon his mind and receiving the faith of God, he's going to actually be compelled to action. He's OCD about righteousness. Not OCD about his own uh, sloth or his own gluttony or his own anger or his own uh, self-righteousness and vanity. He's OCD about doing what God wants him to do. He has, and you can call that a neurosis almost. I mean, that's the first thing, you know, if somebody really gets close to the kingdom... Psychologists want to say that that guy's crazy. <laughs> so, uh, but the reality is, how do we know who is crazy and who is righteous? Well, are are, are they patient? Are they long suffering? Are they uh, uh, conscientious or manipulative? Uh, you know, are they? Uh, is it all about them? Is it about other people? Do they come to serve? You know, but the reality is you don't need to know about everybody. You need to know about yourself. As far as future 
authoring goes, I mean, the past is already written. It's true. You, you just have to see the truth. You have to look for the truth. Not just about the world. And we, you know, I've written whole books about the world. I didn't write any books about you. But yet, in some ways, the book is about you. But I, I gave you the examples of the world I show in the covenants of the gods that people have gone into bondage. Why? Because they were greedy, slothful, angry, self-righteous, vain. <laughs> All these, which is another way of saying they were lacking virtues. They were lacking the light. So I, I spell that out. I, I try not to pick on individuals with their personal name. The fact is, all these characters uh, that I've just talked about, all these people with the different vices, I see them all the time. I deal with them all the time on a, uh, on a local basis and on a, and on a general basis. But it doesn't do any good for you to know about all these other people. You need to know about yourself. Where do you fit into this scheme? Are you slothful in your your quest for the righteousness of God to be written on your heart? Are you still blaming other people for your particular state or status? Do you think you can change your spiritual status by changing your physical status? You, you set yourself free from the world. Do you think you're really released from the adversary of God? Do you still have some of the evidence of these vices and virtues that are listed off in, you know, in, in history? And then, uh, I mean, you can go look it up in, uh, probably Google virtues and vices and they will give you all the different, <laughs> Uh, lists of what is uh, virtuous and uh, what is um, not virtuous. And, uh, you know, because again, virtue is the positive. That's That exists. Virtue exists. Vice is is what we see when we lack virtue. It's not, it's not something that exists. It's something that, um, that comes into existence when we are full of this, uh, when we're not full of the light. If you, if you look at the list of vices, a common list of vices, it's lust. Well, lust for what? There's all kinds of lust. I mean, most of the time when you see the word lust, you think of, Sexual lust, but it's things you want. You want gluttony. Well, there's a, there's a little bit of lust in gluttony because gluttony is what you want again. Greed. Well, greed is lust and gluttony. I mean, you see greed and lust and gluttony. And, and sloth is that you want, you want Lust and gluttony and greed, but you don't want to work for it, which is a very interesting uh, concept. Because one thing that we also know about the character of God is that he's a worker. You know, he worked six days and rested on the seventh. He's a doer. Christ said we had to be doers. So the, uh, things have kind of changed levels a little bit. 
there when you go, you got lust, gluttony, and greed, and they're all kind of overlapping each other. But sloth is you want all these things without doing. And uh, wrath. You know, the antithesis of wrath is patience. But again, you wouldn't be wrathful if you were patient. Wrath is what comes along when you're not patient. When you're not walking in that forgiveness. Envy is you want, again. That's back to greed and gluttony and lust. You you want what other people want. You actually want what they have. And pride. Well, pride, the opposite of pride is humility. So, what are the virtues that dispel lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, pride? You know, it says chastity. But chastity in what? Uh Chastity, you know, we talk about the bride of Christ. So, uh, we talk about lust of the world. We, we talk about adultery. Most of the time it talks about adultery in the Bible. They're talking about national adultery. So, are you willing to live your life without taking the life of others? Without betraying others? Gluttony. They give the virtue of temperance. So, you know, is it, are you, are you here to serve yourself? Are you here to serve others? Well, how many hours a day should you spend at serving others? I mean, you go out and work, but when a, a good husband and father goes out to work, he doesn't go out just to earn money so he could take a vacation. He goes out and, you know, earns so that he can take care of his family. He goes out to earn to serve. And that telegraphs out into the people that he's working for. Because he will be working for them with the intent to serve. He won't be wrathful. He'll be patient in his work. He will, he will be diligent. You know, and, you know, that's the antithesis of sloth, is diligence. So just as these things like lust, gluttony, and greed, and envy all overlap one another, this chastity, uh, temperance, charity, which is the opposite of greed, diligence, patience, which is the opposite of wrath, gratitude, which is the opposite of envy, humility, which is the op- opposite of pride. Gratitude. When somebody is giving you a hard time, are you thankful for that hard time? Because it's opportunity to forgive, to walk in that forgiveness. It's an opportunity for that patience, which is walking in that forgiveness. It's an opportunity for diligence, which is walking in that forgiveness. It's an opportunity for charity, which is walking in that forgiveness. Walking in what? Walking in the service to others. It is the practice of pure religion which is the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. The pious has to do with the, the honoring your father and your mother, taking care of them. See, there would absolutely be no need for Social Security if children were taking care of their parents. But the children don't even have the idea that they have... Oh, they have a vague idea that they're going to take care of their parents. But uh, they don't really get it. 
that today because they don't really see it. And the people who want to become a non-501c3 church don't really get it because they don't really see the church. But then most people don't really get virtue because they don't see the virtue. They're too busy seeing what's wrong with everybody else. The future will be authored by the present. And right now, your present is authored by your past. And it's authored by your past because you will not see the truth about your past. And therefore, you cannot see the truth about your present. You don't want to see yourself as you really are. And that's why you come together. That's one of the reasons why you come together. That's why God gave you this cause and effect sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. So your minister has to care about other congregations as much as he cares about his own. He cannot do that unless he gathers with other ministers. And they have to gather in those ranks of 50 and 100 because he doesn't just care about five other congregations. He has to care about 5,000 other congregations equally as he cares about his own. And everybody in his congregation must care about the people in those other congregations as much as they care about their own. They cannot love those who love them more than those they don't even know. Christ came that the world might be saved. Do you gather together so that the world might be saved? Or do you gather together to save your little congregation? Your little groupy group of people. Do you gather together to save yourself or to save others? Christ didn't come to save himself. He came to save others. So if you're not coming to save others, you're not coming in the name of Christ. So if you see there's a value in this message of seeking the kingdom, and you see you you have to clean the slate. And you clean the slate by letting the light in and seeing your own faults, seeing your own envy. Why did you pick the spouse you have? Why do you pick the friends that you have? Did you let God pick them or did you pick them? Did you pick them because they're strong or because they're weak? Did you pick them because they have the same weaknesses you have and therefore maybe even have them worse than you have so that you don't look so bad compared to them? Do you, do you, did you pick them so that you could imagine that you were saving them? Yeah, that, that is... You know, a lot of women do this, but I see men do it too. Not as often. Uh, but, uh, uh, it's, men have another reason why they pick the friends they do, but it's all about self-justification. Uh, I'm not, I, I shouldn't say it's all, because the fact is we are complex creatures. We can do some things for both some of the right reason and some of the wrong reason. But we have to get the wrong reason out of the way. And if we've done that for the wrong reason, it doesn't mean to end the relationship. It means to end the way in which we relate to one another. And it doesn't mean to start becoming judgmental of your partner or your friends. It's, it's 
means beginning to see yourself as you really are. Your weaknesses. And your weaknesses are simply the absence of the strength of God. That chastity, temperance, charity, diligence, patience, gratitude, and humility. I'd like to get different words to use there because we have so much precognition of what we think those things mean. But I'll have to do that on another day (laughs) because we're running out of time. Until then, peace upon your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.